Live from the Bunkhouse Saloon in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Bunkhouse! So what the hell is Bug House? Follow me for a second. I work the Wild Wild West Gambling Hall. I'm a casino manager. One day I'm walking the property and I walk around and there's a, a pretty drunk, pretty big, like 350 pound white guy and he is being detained by two security officers. And what had happened was he was over at the Gold Coast, got really drunk, came to the Wild Wild West with his Gold Coast voucher and tried to get it cashed at our facility and we wouldn't cash it and he got really pissed off and got very belligerent, got very angry. And when our director of security, who happens to be a black man, comes over to ask him to leave, he throws out the N-word, it's time to go. So by the time I get there, this, and he's a huge guy. And I've got two pretty good size security officers trying to detain him because he's spitting one face. I mean, he's going nuts. But at some point I recognized that his, all of his brute force, and he was strong. It took him a long time to get him in cuffs. But he was trying so hard with his brute force to win this moment. I mean, and all I could think of is at one point was, this guy was a really big guy. He's not running from anybody. And I thought, wow, that's kind of like American politics now, where we believe we can win through brute force. And brute force isn't going to work. It doesn't almost ever work. Because there's always going to be somebody a little bit stronger, maybe two guys who are a little bit stronger. And when you look at our political discourse, we're trying to out-yell each other trying to out-scream each other through brute force. You're going to believe me whether you want to change your mind or not. Well, we've been in places like this in America before. In 1911, the, the, we were just as divided without social media. And in 1911, in Chicago, Illinois, in Washington Square Park, they created a venue for anarchists and radicals and free thinkers to stand on soapboxes and debate the issues of the day. And they called it Buckhouse Square, which was pejorative at the time, but that's what it was. It was called Buckhouse Square. And then after a while, things calmed down in America, but then in the 50s, it got crazy again. So they reinvented Buckhouse Square, also in Washington Square Park. We're now in a place where we're divided in ways that we don't even know how to comprehend. And so David Kimmel with Literate Ape, which is our digital magazine, and if you have not read literateape.com, go online and find Literate Ape, because we've got lots of different opinions, a lot of different things going on. But we created a show, because in, you know, in the new millennium, that's what you do. You don't create a square, you create a show. And the show is Bug House. This is all about the art of the dialectic, about debate, about persuasive argument rather than muscling through without brute force. We have three debates that we want you to hear tonight. The first debate that you will hear tonight, debated by Joshua Fisher and Dana German, will be democracy post-impeachment 
dead or alive. The second debate that you'll hear tonight by Erica Kuharski, and who it is her birthday, so wish her a happy birthday. Yeah. And myself is the pronoun thing, I use the air quotes, the pronoun thing, mountain or molehill. And the third debate of the night, in reference to the fact that in four days we have Valentine's Day, and in six days, Ryan Party, our host, will be getting married. Yeah. He's a little nervous about it, but it's good, it's good. Now he told me tonight that he just went ahead and got a, a black tuxedo because his wife's got a hot pink dress. Yeah! I said, yeah, yeah, you need to be the straight man in that situation, sure. But the third debate, debated by Asia Storm and Pearson Brown, and if you've been to Bug House, you know who Pearson Brown is, um, is love hurts or is a mini splendid thing? everybody. So, I love being here, but it does not make me happy to be arguing this particular topic, and especially to be offering anecdotes that speak to this side of it. I do this with great reluctance. It brings me no pleasure whatsoever to consider recent events, which feature a shyster head official operating freely under the current law, to ponder the negative elements brought about from our collective suffering under the effects of our getting pushed out and voices drowned out by the weakly elected few. <clears throat> Democracy! The mother load of loaded words in the state and place. In this scenario where the Huxleyan disruption is taking hold, there's a good chance that more than our money, our pleasures and pains and very souls of now and the far-flung future are damned to be recruited to power the GAFA conglomerate, right? Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. These are your newly elected leaders, my people. Now, it's up to you to accept or block their deliciously toxic elements from your feed. We cannot separate our lives from politics. Me especially, because I'm married to fucking Don Hall. Unfortunately, if the <laughs> ideology of democratic thought is dead, then so are we. The bright side to this breakdown, if there could be any at all, and the smash the state anarchists with their direct action modus would disagree with me entirely here because they know it's your very life that is at stake, and I love them for knowing that, is that because of the inflated bureaucracy in place, the breakdown of laws of living in this land, initially based on the spirit of liberation and the decency of the common man, as the systems meant to bulwark them slowly fall away and out of place and go the way of the dodo, it's gonna be an extremely slow and agonizing fashion that they do this, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Thomas Jefferson comes to mind here as he referred to knowledge in his thoughts and writings as light. You best believe it was lit when our forefathers were sitting in a Philadelphia courthouse day after day for months during a sweltering ass summer trying to birth this country. Every minute felt like a pressure-cooked eternity of light. Knowledge as light, knowledge as power. Especially knowledge that is rife with truth 
but strikes as uncommonly comfortable. Uncomfortable. I have the sinking feeling all the time that democracy is dead because of people like me. Often. People who are terribly interested in freedom and liberty and rights, but possess sheer contempt for most everything else that surrounds it. So have any of you ever seen the documentary A State of Mind? It's about the mass games phenomena in North Korea. Uh, it's a really great documentary. It's not a new film. I, I watched it sometime in 2006, so Bush Jr. administration frustration was high. And it's an incredible piece of filmmaking, and more so for what it says about the people who are in it, namely beautiful, starving athletes who possess such a pride for their country and its high-handed kingdom that they work themselves to noble, premature death for it. Mass games are a rally designed to please a great leader and his glorified family. The kicker you find in this film is this. We don't even think this fucker and his heinous haircut, Kim Jong, whoever the fuck, even show the fuck up. And I found myself genuinely in tears after watching it. And not too long after that, I read uh, Nothing to Envy by Barbara Demick, and um, then found myself donating liberally to libertyinnorthkorea.org. I mean, just a, a game changer of a book, too. And I said to my partner at the time after watching um, A State of Mind, as much as I know this, too, to be an empty, blind sentiment, the people touched me. I wish I could be as proud and as openly supportive of the leader of my country as these people are. I earnestly wished I could have that pride and joy and sureness of purpose and confidence in my country's chosen leadership. And I can tell you, too, about the precise moment I dropped out for good. Like, you probably have a moment like this, too, in your life, when you realize, I have better tools and more faith in my instincts, and I don't need any more of this. I dropped the ball completely. Uh, like, not off the grid checked out, but no more news, really, of any kind. No more investing in the modern world outside of what fiction I chose to read and what my friends were into and my parents and immediate family and what was happening in my own daily life in real time. I was in Mars Bar and Grill Music Venue in Chicago, Illinois on Lincoln Avenue around 2010. And I was there with my boyfriend at the time. We were there to see Jaw Wobble. And in between sets, I was talking to him and we were only together for a few months, but he was a, he's a few years my senior, and we began a dialogue about past presidents and political decisions. And for the first time, with the help of his lens, I zoomed out quite a bit and began to see with more clarity the truth inherent in this sick, myopic, democratic cycle. A pattern emerged which meant society would be held hostage to this unthinking loop for as long as it had memories to make to forget. And the push of progress would be stymied by the pull of nostalgia, the chicken or the egg conundrum result of a two-party accident of existence forever and ever. And when this dawned on me, I didn't feel betrayed or offended like I did after watching a state of mind. So much as I felt duped, and mostly ridiculously at a loss for not understanding this aspect of our grossly ludicrous, 
an obesely encumbered, farcical government sooner. But now grok this. Democracy is dead, but it has not lived in vain. As Thomas Jefferson might say, long live our light. Long live what remains of our constitutional republic. Thank you. All right. if you could have a table. All right, so, Aubrey, you got that in your brain? All right, so now here's the counterpoint to that argument. Ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Fisher, give him a hand. Thank you. Uh, what an absolutely beautiful speech. Uh, so carefully crafted, beautifully worded, everything, the whole nine yards. Uh, I can only hope they'll be that good. Uh, chances are I'm going to probably bastardize the English language very shortly here, so please uh, bear with me here. I have a very uh, non-professional uh, approach. Let's go with that. So long story short, I'm going to start off with this conversation with a question, actually. Would you say that it's dead or sick? Now, I'm going to change, because I want to kind of shift perspectives here, okay? Because, for example, do you ever have that person that you work with, live with during family lunch, you know, dinner times, you're like, oh my God, Uncle Mike's doing it again, talking about it again, oh my God, you can't listen to it over and over again. What I would say though is that again, democracy is all about being able to choose what you want to vote for, because we all have the right to vote, which is a beautiful thing. I'd also say that again, we have to respect what people vote for. I mean, I like it, definitely don't. Because again, you have to look at your work, you want to sit there and talk about politics over and over again, about how Trump's so great or how the Democrats are so great, and you may not agree with it, but again, it's their right to vote. So what I would add to that too as well, is even though we have a person that my friend is so uh, professionally and kindly, uh, was it, uh, he named him, what was it again? Commander in Cheeto with how orange he is? <laughs> He's decided that yes, he, that is said, that this is the guy that we have running our state for, uh, our, our United States for the next four years, or again, for the four years it was. And again, like I said, the hope is just he's not gonna burn the place to the ground pass on to the next person. That's the hope. And again, like I said, again, he may not like how things are going, but that's how things were going, and we have to just deal with it. Because unfortunately, that's how it was voted for. Now, what I will say is, again, democracy is sick. The reason I say that is because the person who ever decided to make the rules were on drugs. I say that because, for example, if anyone here knows what gerrymandering is, you can basically set the lines of where things go. So, for example, you can have a, a state that's set up in however you want to put it up, it could be blue or red. That's your choice. You can say, okay, well, the people who decide these lines go, you know what, we're gonna make the state Republican, because they can do that. For example, I think it was in 2012, I think I read that it was three million Californians who voted Republican. All for that, not even close to what they, you know, what you expect for Californians. Or in Texas, it was five million who voted Democratic. So again, completely two different sides of the spectrum here. And I'm pretty sure, like you said, you guys would just imagine, well, it's Texas, they're all about guns and everything like that. And of course, when you're in California, it's all about Sanctuary cities, not quite the case. As you can see, like I said, they're completely two different start contracts, but gerrymandering changes things. Or for example, like I said, certain votes for, uh, count one another's. So for example, like Idaho and Pennsylvania and Florida, they own way more. One vote counts for way more than anyone in California. So for example, Russia has a lot more votes than standard people do. Um, like I said, this is all to say again, the fact that it's not dying. I would say it's sick, it's on its way there but it needs to be changed. 
Because again, whenever they decide to make the rules that we have, was made long, long time ago, again, of how these votes were made, and I think they need to be changed. It's not a matter of dying, and I would definitely agree that it's on that track, but it's not dead. It's still, like I said, you can still vote for who you want. You can vote where you want to, you can go for Clinton, you can go and go for uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, because again, everyone always wants to ask, are you a Republican, are you a Democrat, are you independent, what do you lean? what do you feel on this situation? My reply is yes, because I decided not to choose the line on this. I'm very independent, I'll say I lean, I lean a little bit more right, but again, it doesn't make any difference. Because again, at the end of the day, I respect that you are who you say you are. If you want, if you want marijuana, go for it, I'm the same way. But if you're like, you know what, we, you know, I don't like gays so much, that's fine. I don't think that same way, but that is your choice. Again, democracy is a matter of how you choose, but again, it's, it's turning more to the point of the lesser of two evils, okay? Because you have Donald Trump on one end, and you have Hillary Clinton on the other. I, prefer, uh, I just would go, you know what? I'm not really too fond of either. But then you have that argument of, well, if you didn't vote, you don't get a choice. Really? That makes no sense to me either because I basically am being forced to choose someone. And then when I choose someone, it's, oh, well, you choose them. You can't say anything about it. Or obviously you liked them. I didn't like whoever I chose. I won't disclose that for any reasons. <laughs> but you're not allowed, like I said, you're not allowed to choose who you voted for. And again, again it's one of the situations of I didn't want either of them to win. But again, it was, if I didn't vote, I don't have a voice. So again, like I said, I would say that again, politics is more of a dying situation. It's not, a, it's not currently dead, it is on the process, but like I said, it's still got a lot of life and kick into it. Again, you can still vote who you want to. We have the upcoming elections. If you don't like Trump, kick him out. You have that choice. I will say it's difficult, it definitely is. But again, it is still alive, it's still kicking, and I expect that any of you guys can go ahead and vote how you'd like to during the 2020 election. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Dana, come on up here. All right. Does anybody have any questions for either or both of our debaters? Yes, sir. I just have a question for both of them. For both. What is a democracy? The question from the crowd is what, for either, what is a democracy? You want to rock, paper, scissors for this first? Or? <laughs> Well, real quick, uh, I believe that democracy is the ideology that's built on the rules of the Constitutional Republic, the, the system that we have in place. That's essentially it. And what's your answer? I would go as much to say as basically it is you choosing who you feel best fits your ideals. Unfortunately, as much as it is not the same nowadays, back in the day, you chose who you felt best represented what you wanted for your state and your country. But isn't, isn't there like kind of like an existential difference between a republic and a democracy? Is there an existential difference? Oh, entirely. Yeah. Yes. I would completely agree with that. All right. But that, the, the disconnect that we all seem to have is that it's it's different for everyone. So it's finding. But which but it, one do still, we have? Still within the difference, there's there's like a continuum or a spectrum within that framework. So, so now we have to kind of find each other within that continuum. You know what I'm saying? And so if there's enough of, if the continuum starts to expand and there are big breaks in between, then I, I feel like that's where we're breaking down. That's where democracy just but like is stretched too far. You know but what according I mean? to our constitution, we have a republic, right? Yeah. We yeah. don't have a democracy. Yeah. Never have. Democratic republic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Hopefully we Here's the thing. You and I are going to talk. You're going to debate next year, next month. Yeah! Uh, yeah! Because that's how we do it. All right, I've got a question behind you, Pierce. Hold on, Pierce. Someone's behind you. 
not wearing hearts. For some old this is for each of you. Uh, why does your opponent's argument have validity? Why is your own argument full of shit? Oh my god, you're so, so you've just taken the art of the dialectic and spun it. All right, so why is he right? Why is she right? Come on, Go. What? Don't throw me under the bus in this question. Right, I got this, this guy's got it. I would say this, Martha, yes. Again, as I said prior, it is sick. It is dying. Okay, because like I said, when you, can, when you decide to vote in a new Palumpa, it makes it very difficult to go, yes, of course, it's optional, but again. But hold on, hold on. I would say this much, but again, also, I would, I would spin that. But hold on, hold on. But again, we had, we, we've had black, we've had white, we've had that in the, in the office, we've had the option to vote for a woman and a man. I would also say that, again, it's leaving that the possibility of it's endless, but again, with us voting for that, it's kind of more outside the spectrum of someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Data, why is your opponent right? right because I want him to be to win the prize because he's this is the first time he's done this and I'm married to this bozo and I write for Litter Day too and maybe I'm a little too biased so vote for him. There you go. <laughs> Pearson, what's your question? Why is your own, why is your own argument full of shit? All right, did, I didn't get that from either one of you. It's I, true. You, you validated each other but you didn't you didn't give, like, I want to hear from Pearson girl. now. I do too. <laughs> he sounds like he's got a lot of ideas. Pearson, what's your question? I have a question. Yes. Uh, uh, the young lady, da Dan, Daniel? Dan Dana. Dan, 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 Dana. Dana. Oh, Dan Dan uh, don't you think Kim Jong-un's hairstyle is kind of fire, though? It's you said it was shitty. North Korea. It's kind of fire, though. You are, whether you're male or female, you are allowed to have one of somewhere between 10 and 15 state-approved haircuts. There's only three good haircuts for men, so. <laughs> like, they're still kind of overreaching. It. And two of them. Men would argue that that's not just their problem. All right, Aubrey. We've had our three questions. And so, Aubrey, you've got two choices. Is it dead or is it ailing but still alive? Justin Fisher wins the debate. Give him a hand. All right, so I love music. I've always grown up with music, so I understand that. I'm going to just kind of relate to you guys on an equal playing field before getting into the gender. So has anyone played a musical instrument? Yes. I, I played the violin growing up, so I'm pretty familiar with the treble clef. And then I kind of learned some of the piano, so I learned to dabble in both the bass clef and the treble clef. But if you look at the notes, they have different names. So it depends on what key they're in, it depends what clef they're in, and what kind of note that's gonna be. So when you make a key change, it's simple. You just look at how many sharps there are. So I'm fluent in treble clef, so if you look at C major, there's no sharps. If you look at G major, there's one sharp. So I know in the G major, I'm not gonna play an F natural, I'm gonna play an F sharp to make sure that sounds right. So notes on a page can look different but sound the same. So if you're playing an F sharp, it can also be a G flat. It sounds exactly the same. Same with G sharp, A flat. Same note, E sharp, F natural. Both of these notes sound exactly the same, but they look different. Okay, now bass clef. If you don't look at the clef, you don't know what note you're playing. So at the very top of that sheet music, that ledger lines, the very top note, that's a B. Now if it was a treble clef, it would be a G. 
That's fucking stupid. I've grown up my entire life reading that as a G. Why is it a B? Now I have to go around and be like, hey, what cleft are you? Are you a B or a G? That's insane. Why? Because it's important. It's very important. <laughs> so important to know what you're dealing with so you know what note you're playing. Because I mean, if you play a G and it's supposed to be a B, you're gonna play the wrong song, right? Gonna, you're gonna disrupt the public. You're gonna, you're gonna make groups of people very upset with you because you're not seeing their identity, right? The, I mean, the note, the note in the song. <laughs> so it's very important. So when you see something transposed, just respect it. You need to respect it. <laughs> Don't assume it's clef. Don't, that, that note is something else. It's a key signature change, deal with it. <laughs> now that note, <laughs> it might have grew up in the treble clef. Maybe now it feels more like a bass clef. Maybe it doesn't define itself in either clef. Maybe it's a middle C. Middle C can be read in either clef. Maybe it's not even on the staff. It's a composer. Whatever it wants to be, you know? It's very important to use proper musicality. <laughs> right? Because pronouns are from environment to environment. They have different, they, it's people relating to it, right? It's their identity, just as notes within their key. Now, I don't think I've gone on for seven minutes, but I think I've proved my point here very quick. So when you use a gendered pronoun, you need to be sharp, or see natural, <laughs> whichever you prefer. she was going to go that direction, I used to be a 7th and 8th grade music teacher. I would have totally gone that direction. But I was, actually, for uh, a decade. Alright, so I am now... Aubrey, you got that? Yep. Alright, so here is the counterpoint to the pronoun thing, Mount Nermoha. And I will read it. Out of the entire 330 million Americans residing in the United States, 0.8% are Oscar Mayer Wiener enthusiasts. 1.6% are knitting enthusiasts. 0.3% Americans have webbed toes. 5.9% have scoliosis. 0.7% wear dentures. 0.4% are vegans. 0.6% are transgender. If all of America was 100 people in a room, 65 would be white, 16 would be Hispanic, 13 would be black, 5 would be Asian, and the remaining one person would be everybody else. 52 would be women, 48 men. A whopping 95 would be heterosexual. Of the five left, just over half of one of them would be transgender. This is not to say that the issues of, say, 
cosplayers, 2.3% of Americans, are not to be taken seriously. It is likewise not to say that the transgender community has the same choice of identity as, say, furries. People who only enjoy sex if dressed up as animals comprising of 0.5% of the population. It is, however, a series of issues that truly only benefit the most minuscule percentage of the tribe. So, in the vein of that, that size matters, the heightened hysteria over which pronouns we are supposed to use and how we know which ones to use and if it's hate speech if we use the wrong ones is a pretty tiny issue affecting less people than celebrate the Jerry Seinfeld faux holiday of Festivus, 0.7% of Americans, <laughs> or participate in dress-up screenings of the Big Lebowski, 1.3% of nationwide. The argument that this issue is small, however, isn't sufficient. Only 13% of Americans are directly affected by racial slurs against blacks, and while these slurs are not outlawed, when accompanied by a crime, that crime is rightly elevated to the level of hate crime. The severity of breaking the new normal of they, theirs, she, he, it, Bob, Tyler, G-sharp, or B-sharp. It should be considered, at least. Now, dead naming, dead naming, the practice of calling a transgender person by the name they were born with is pretty much a dick move. It's not harmful, it's not violence, because hurt feelings and offense aren't the same as violence, and if you think so, you've never been hit by a board. It is fucking rude. A guy who walks into a gas station tells the clerk, that N-word told me to pay, and here is a rude piece of bigoted shit. I think we can pretty much all agree with that. The same guy, however, who comes in and says, the colored guy told me to pay here, is skirting a grayer issue. It's a little weirder. Perhaps he's maybe just a little thick or really old. Colored is crappy vernacular but hardly packs the wallop of the word that shall not be uttered. Same for the pronoun thing. In the gender fluid deal, everyone gets to choose their pronouns, but to make it illegal legislation outlawing incorrect pronoun use has been introduced in seven states, and a bit of online research shows that at least 25 university employees have been fired for it. To respect that choice is a bridge too far. Cluelessly rude is not a crime. Intentionally rude is not a crime. If being rude were a crime, the prisons would be filled with 20-year-old white people instead of colored men. Hell yeah. yeah. But what, 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 what mountains to compare this molehill to for perspective? We, as Americans, hell as earthlings, face a host of mountains. Societally, we have income inequality that eclipses that of the 1920s. Voting disenfranchisement, white supremacy is all in vogue again. We have a savant media whore with the scruples of a six-year-old sociopath as our current presidential suite occupant. Half the country has been attacking reproductive rights like scarab beetles on the face of that fat guy in The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. And why didn't I say with Rachel Wise? Because patriarchy. 
On a global scale, we have a climate apocalypse coming. Coronavirus is here, and the oceans are a toilet that covers three quarters of the planet. The Iranians want to kill the Jews. The Jews want to kill the Palestinians. And the Russians want to destroy us from inside our goddamn smartphones. These are mountains. Your pronouns are a molehill in comparison, even if, in your mind, the world is just a movie starring you and your issues. Thank you. All right. Does anybody have a question for one, both, or other? Yes. Okay. How do you feel about the fact? Who's this to? Oh. Both, okay. How do you feel about the fact that scientific studies have shown that people who complete the gender reassignment process are 19 to 25 times more likely to commit suicide than the normal population? Okay. And okay. the fact that this whole process does not seem to actually assist the people in dealing with these things and that there seems to be transcendent facts that there is actual abuse the people who have their gender confused. All right. You want to take that? You, you want, want me to take that? Reverb it for the podcast? All right. So basically, for the podcast, is how do we feel in terms of the argument, Mountain or Molehill, about some scientific information that has been posited to say that transgender uh, transformation. Surgical transformation does, does that, that those people are actually higher in suicide than if they didn't transform. And uh, that, I think that's basically the question, yeah? Does this one work? Okay. Yeah, it does, it does. Okay. Go for it. So I totally agree with that. So even in 2015, they finally took it out of the DSM-5 as like that you not identifying with what you're assigned sexually as your gender is now no longer a mental disorder. That's like 2015, so it's very recent. Um, so. When you're born, it's like, is it a boy or a girl? And once you get assigned that, there's different roles, there's different identity, there's different expression that all comes from that. So yeah, you're gonna see the increase in depression, suicide, because you were born to be something and you don't feel that way and you don't identify with anything that was given to you from birth. So I think it's totally important. It's not a molehill. Well, and what I would say in, in response to your question, I don't, uh, because there's science that proves exactly the other, other side of that. What I would say is, um, I actually, in terms of it being an issue that is important, I agree with that. I actually do think it's an important issue. Do I think it's a molehill issue or a mountain, mole, mountain issue? My argument is, yes, while it is an issue, while it is a legitimate issue, while it is an important issue, it is not a mountain it is a molehill. So in terms of your question, it doesn't really apply to my specific argument, but that would be my, that would be my response. Another question, yes sir? Do you, think, do you think that cosplay would be a bigger part of the wave head of the cultural zeitgeist if there was exponentially increased rates of violence towards people who dressed up as um, anime characters? There should be. <laughs> Is that to me or to uh, Erica? No, let's see. It's an okay. honest question. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, you know, I think, uh, I think, uh, if there were more cosplay, would there be more violence? Is that no, 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 no? If there was more violence against cosplay, would there be less it would be an cosplay issue that we talked about more? in cultural discussions about Absolutely. where do it not change. Absolutely, if people dressing up like Harley Quinn were on a routine basis beaten with bats, 
it would absolutely be something we would be discussing, it still would not be a mountain. It would still be something that relatively affects a very, very small percentage of the country. That's really my argument, because I understand the argument. <laughs> I, I positioned it. My argument is not that it's not a valid issue. My issue is it's not a big, all-encompassing issue. It's a molehill versus a mountain. That's my argument. So one more question. Yes, sir. In response, actually, to his question, do you think that maybe the overwrought dismissal of uh, a, a human being's chosen identity might lead to higher suicide rates, especially when coupled with physical and verbal abuse from alienating culture, and therefore, when we view it as a molehill issue, mm -hmm. we are actually diminutizing the fact that, that, that those opinions and perceptions do real damage to human beings. You want me to? That's pretty much directed to me, right? And my answer is, you're absolutely correct. From the Googles. No, yeah, no. And, and the thing about it is, the thing about it is, I agree. Which facts are not correct? Just so you know. Which facts are not correct? So there's a. The most recent study was over 10 years long, conducted in Sweden, just printed in the Scientific American in November. There's a higher rate overall of suicide, anxiety, and mental health disorders, which are treated with. Uh, antidepressants and therapy in people who are transgender. However, there is evidence that every year that they've lived past reassignment, there's an improvement and a decrease in the rate of suicide. And that is exactly that's correct. Facts. Yeah, that's, and that's exactly right. And what I would answer, to, in, in answer to your question is by making it a molehill, do we create more harm? Yes. Do you agree with that? Um, I would agree with that question. I would agree with your point. I think by by minimizing it and, and but but this is what I would this is what I would say is by inflating it we create more argument for its validity. It is not the most important issue that we can deal with and for it to take the most bandwidth in our public discourse inflate the country media social media we is us. I know, I know, I understand, Pearson. Us. You, us, Americans. The American discourse is what I'm talking about. And if we, as the American discourse, take a very small issue, make it a huge issue, it automatically does exactly the opposite. But don't we often take the issues? And this is the third like question. At the fourth <laughs> question. Sorry, if just... I may. Yes. How do you. Oh, good God. He's a bad parent. And there's lots and lots and lots of bad parents. And no laws against bad parenting. But there are many, many parents who believe that that is a wrong choice. How do you go about that? Well, that's, I mean, there are plenty of parents. My sister is an example. My sister, um, and this was, I want to say 12 years ago. My sister, who was married, had three children, um, decided she didn't want to be married because that she she was attracted to women. She was a lesbian. So she divorced her husband, and the three children had to deal with the fact that they were living in Augusta, Kansas, which is a tiny little Kansas town, right. who were very, very conservative. Okay. We're a big problem, right? Yes. The thing about it is, the thing about it is, my nephew, the youngest, kind of didn't, and he was the youngest, so he didn't really deal with the situation 
as well as the, the two older kids, you know? So he had some hard problems with that, and he did, uh, he did some juvie, he, he did a lot of acting out. The fact is, those are wrong choices. My sister knew they were wrong choices, but because she was a good parent, dealt with it differently. I think there's plenty of bad parents. I think that bad parenting is a huge thing. I think that uh, in terms of social media, I think in terms of bullying, there's plenty of bullying to go around. Can I ask another and question? And so, so my answer to that is, parents, we can't control. Unless we can make laws that say that only people that are responsible can be parents, that's not going to change. Now, what about parents? Always going to be bad parents. Say again? Again, until we can make a law that says you can't do it, that's going to exist. With pronouns, what it kind of makes it, this like, it's like a microaggression, because it's like, in the communication, you're just, you keep missing what this person's identity is. Yeah. So, I even looking into it, it's like someone needs to introduce themselves, like, hi, my name's this, and I use these gendered pronouns. Yeah. And it, even them, it's up to them to ask in a respectful way, can you use these? Yeah. And then it's up to the, the responder to respectfully use that too. You um, know, I, have, I have personal experience with family who doesn't just, they just don't agree with that. You know, it's way beyond their time. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is like, how do you go with that? People who, who straight, they just don't believe in it. Like, how do you go about that? How do you, how do you, how do you make them accept it? And the question is, and this is, and, and this, and, and, and that's things I think is fascinating. And this is just one of those things. You turned twenty-seven today. Yeah. I turned fifty-four February third, which means I'm exactly twice your age. Okay. Which I think is interesting. My experience is that you can't make anybody think something. All you can do is show them. And 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 so the question is, how do you make parents? Accept. You can't make parents accept. You can't make religious people accept. All you can do is lead by example. That's the only thing I know from my 54 years, which isn't that much, let's be honest, but fucking old. Right? Yeah. 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 Oh, my back. Oh, I hurt my ankle getting out of bed. Um, so, so I think the answer to the question is you can't make them. But what I would also say is that most boomers were in the the 60s in the, in, in, in they understand the concept of choice. And I think it's about, I, I think ultimately it's about supporting the choice of individuals. I'm personally, I'm all about choose what you want to fucking do. If you want to be a drug addict, that's on you, man. Yeah. You chose. Yeah. Rock and roll. If you, if you want to, if you want to change your gender, that's your, that's, that's, that's you. It has nothing to do with me. But when, and again, yeah. go ahead. Uh, so just like on a goofy note, I was trying to think of, well, so you're always using that in conversation, you have to introduce your pronouns, but like in meal situations, I hear it all the time of vegetarians, vegans, throwing their ideas at me of how I'm supposed to serve them, too. So like it's the same thing, like whatever's most important to you, you need to address it because no one's going to read your mind. And, that, I, and, I, and I completely agree with that. It is on the person who has preferred pronouns to announce that rather than assume everybody's going to have to do it. All right, so... This is what I love about Bug House. You guys are, ooh, you're salty. I fucking love it. All right, so Aubrey, you have heard the arguments. You have heard the discussion, which I think is fascinating and lovely, and I love it, and I hope everybody sticks around and wants to have those conversations during karaoke as well. Aubrey, who wins this debate? Um, I, I believe it's a mouthful. 
You believe it's a mountain, so Erica wins. Give her a hand. Erica! Give her a big hand. Asia Storm, go on!
dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins are all activated when we're experiencing love and lust. That feels so good that they are in a way addictive because our bodies will only produce them at that certain time and other you know, such times. Like when we, are, when we are falling low, then when we don't have them, we crave them. So basically, serial monogamous are just romanticized heroin addicts. <laughs> when after a lovely weekend together with that special someone, you have to separate. The feeling is intense and painful. That is because your body is going into withdrawal of those chemicals that make you feel so good. And you won't want to feel them, you won't feel them again until you have contact with that person. This withdrawal is debilitating. And we will do just about anything to make it feel better and ease the anxiety and when you're going to feel them again. Love is painful because of the strong connection between social and physical pain. When it comes to the science of love and pain, yes, it is a thing. Researchers are primarily preoccupied with understanding how people react to rejection. In 2003, for example, psychologists discovered that the parts of the brain that process physical pain are also involved in social pain thus offering an explanation as to why it hurts when we break up with someone we love. And you all know about old couples who frequently make the news because they die when one of them goes, the other one goes right thereafter because they can't physically survive without one another. In one example, I'll give you one. Marjorie and James Landis of Pennsylvania, who had been married for 65 years, they died just 88 minutes apart. That's not funny, Cam. <laughs> Gosh, who are you? I mean, yeah, but yes, 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 yeah. Help my argument. Uh, some doctors at John, Hop John Hopkins University reported a rare but lethal heart condition caused by acute emotional distress. The problem is technically known as stress cardiomyopathy, but the press likes to call it broken heart syndrome, and medical professionals do not object to this nickname. And let's not forget, oh, and this is just something that I decided to add in at the last moment. <clears throat> let's not forget the folks out there who take love in pain very literally. Fetishes, kinks, things that mix pain with pleasure. Couples hanging by the rafters, by their nipples, swinging around <laughs> with ropes and bondage. Fuck yeah, yeah. While they're making love. Don't kink shame. <laughs> the pain with love because they go together hand in hand. And this is why these people can get off. Because pain and love go hand in hand, they are together. In conclusion, love may be a wonderful thing, but all good things must come to an end. Love expires, and the pain will persist. So do yourself a favor, save yourself that money you're gonna spend on flowers and chocolates, go buy yourself a shot of whiskey, tip for bartender. Minutes to death. Okay. When Dana and I, Dana and I have been living in Las Vegas for almost like five days away from our year anniversary. And one of the first things we did when we came to Vegas, we went to First Fridays over on Main Street. 
you know. And what we discovered was, and we, you know, we did the whole thing, but what we discovered was that the, the, the stuff up by the Arts District feels a little more commercial. But if you go down a little bit more down Main Street, you, you, you run into some really interesting people. And one of the very, I mean, I would say, very first people that we ran into and had a conversation with um, was Pearson Brown. <laughs> On the street, yeah. doing performance art, totally our gym. So ladies and gentlemen, to present the other side of the argument, he said to introduce him as Joker, I hope I don't get shot, shot. <laughs> Pearson Brown!
Love will have you in love with a fucking swamp troll and just seeing every fucking perfection in their face. You'll, you, you won't be able to miss it. You'll be like, yeah, I'm going over to their bog later. And your friends will say, their bog? And you're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's nice. It's got two bedrooms and a bath. It's it's fantastic bog. Um, you just don't have flaws when you're in love. There, there's a lot of really good things about love that I, I think that my opponent missed out on because they were so obsessed with the fact that after love is gone, it hurts. And yeah, true, but... You can just keep falling in love. You don't have to stop. You can just keep being stupid, like me. It's a fucking great plan. Because love allows you to not be yourself. It loves you. Love allows you to get out of yourself momentarily, where you can really do whatever you want. See, and I don't know why Don phrased it like this, but love is many a splendorous thing. And sure, there's a good chance that like, you're gonna be hurt, but it's only because love is great. Fucking, uh, I didn't write that much, because, like, it's fucking an easy point to prove. Like, love is awesome. I, I, I mean, everyone in here has been in love at least once. We've all loved somebody, you know? And, uh, fuck you. What I'm saying is, love is good. And you know it. And I wanted to show all of you that I also love every one of you. And if, if you're single and alone, I wanted to give you a little love. So if you look under the tables, there's a little love taped under there for you. I, I taped a little bit for everybody. I hope there's one for everyone. That's called preparation, baby. Oh, y'all didn't even expect that. So, in conclusion, you can only be in pain because you have loved. And you can only be in pain because you lost that love. So, if you believe that pain hurts, if you agree with my opponent, then you ultimately agree with me that love is great, that it's fantastic, and that it causes that pain when it's gone. So, uh, happy Valentine's Day. for either or both of our debaters for this topic. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, Here it comes. It's been said that love is listening, overlooking, valuing, and expressing. I don't agree with that opinion. I think it's I love. It's investing, listening, overlooking, valuing, and expressing. And that the problem really is more of one of perspective. People think that things are going to be easy, but the love that lasts is love where you are constantly doing small things, like it's water that melts in the mountains that feed the rivers, not the flash flood rainstorms. So what's the question? What's the question? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I completely agree. That was, that was quite lovely, and you should probably be wearing these wings. But what's the question? your perspective. Do you agree that the biggest problem with it is not whether it's pain or pleasure? It's that people look at it the wrong way, and that determines which course. Okay, so the question is, is love 
misinterpreted and should we reinterpret it a little better? Is this for me? Yeah, it's for okay. both of you, so go for you it. Go first. Okay, I'll, yeah. Oh, so I think that art, music, and film has kind of romanticized what love actually is and what uh, is expected of our families because it's not provided the right way in our families and that causes damage to us as children, which carries on into our adult lives. And then we don't know how to love then. So, I'm hey. sorry. <laughs> I'm just enjoying Again, this is funny stuff. Hey, I just want everybody to know I'm a lover, okay? I'm a proponent of love. I love love. I like to love. But yeah, I don't think we love properly. And that's a really good question, a good point. Uh, it does take patience. It takes a lot of tr trust and just a lot of effort. And a lot of us don't have the capacity to, to keep on doing that. I think a lot of us have lost that uh, real sense of what it is because it's fed to us in a culture where media and things like, they romanticize it. They want us to buy diamonds, chocolates, flowers, and things, and it just, it's lost its appeal. So uh, in the common sense of what love should be, uh, I don't agree with it. Um, I think it should be more genuine. And again, I'm kind of going back on what I just argued, but I have to fight for what I am doing in this debate because I like to win, god damn it. <laughs> and that microphone works too. baby mic. <laughs> Sorry. Just hold on a little tiny baby mic and just hold that up right there. <laughs> like Seinfeld right now. Um, I mean, like, you can do the big shit and the little shit. Like, yeah, you can go and buy, like, oh, thank you, yes. The, the lights, they're blinding. <laughs> fucking, um, yeah, like, you can do the big shit and the little shit, and, like, fucking, I, I don't really get your question, man. Like, what, like, yeah, love takes work, but, like, so does fucking everything else. Like, I, I, I fucking have to, to make sure my car has oil in it. Why wouldn't I have to do that with my relationship? Like, fucking Christ. All right, there you go. All right. I know I had a question right over here. Yes, ma'am. How do you deal with cheating? Many people cheat because they're in love, but how do you deal with someone you're in love with as a couple and you still cheat? Who's this for? Who's this for? Both, both parties. Okay. So I'll let you go first. I'll go first. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, as I've stated, I'm an idiot. So um, I have been cheated on multiple times. Um, but... Uh, I'm just like, oh no, it'll be okay. <laughs> so like, I don't have an answer for that, but I do know that uh, love will make sure that you're still like, oh no, it's fine, it's cool. But it's still gonna break your heart, right? Oh, definitely, but yeah. once again, idiot, so. I jump in and say yes, cheating is horrible, it hurts, and it happens to a lot of couples Inevitably, it's not just a male or female thing. It seems to happen on both sides. People seem to think it's like, oh, guys cheat. No, it seems to happen all across the board. So they they cheat because they're hurt in their relationship, and then the cheating hurts the person who's getting cheated on. So it's all pain. This is a circle of pain. Don't you see it, people? It's ugly. It's ugly. I just want to point a comment: is the whole concept of cheating. Is 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 really and, and Pearson's gonna love this. Is really buying into the capitalist model of relationships. Oh, somebody say capitalism. Yeah, is the idea that that you can only cheat on someone that owns you, and that's you know work it out. Fucking work it out. It's not cheating because you don't own. But that's just, I'm so fucking progressive. All right. Yes, sir. I've got, I've got two more questions. Yes, sir. My question is, 
Just for Pearson. Just for Pearson. If I understand the basis of your argument, yeah. it's taking the concept that love hurts so bad and saying that is proof of how wonderful that love is, that it can cause so much pain in its absence. Mm. So would you please respond, Mr. Joker, to the concept of incels who never feel love and cause tons of pain. Incels going right to the Joker thing. Actually, this does have to do with uh, Don's little non sequitur right there. Um, because incels as a group generally uh, regard women as property. Um, and they're mad that they aren't getting what they feel are they are owed by that property. So it's not actually about love at all. It's about ownership of a body. But they are causing pain to other people. No, no, no. They're causing pain, but you can cause pain without love. Like, it, it's not only love and pain. It's like, there's pain, and then there is also love and pain, and there's also love without pain. Um, and that's called Disney. There you go. And our final question. Final question. Yes, sir. So, we've been dealing with the concept of love and pain. Um, first and foremost, Pearson, you're such a piece of fucking trash. No, you write anything on this one. I pull it out, just from me to you on all, all the funny. other ones, you fucking I paid one. a 12-year-old to write all those. <laughs> <laughs> not enough, Pearson, not enough. I'll, I'll, hey, I'll sign yours first. Not enough love. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I the end. The question is, is this just a large form of like maximalized kink, all right? Like, 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 are we simply dealing with a situation in which we are so engrossed in something painful that its lack and its attention both cause fucking predominantly horrible, horrible injury? Hold on, I'm gonna let her answer that question first. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna let her answer it first. Whether it was for both of them or not, she gets the answer first. I actually had touched on the fetish thing at the end there uh, of my debate. So yes, uh, I wanted to go into a little bit of the fact that we are still Apes, literate apes, though, by the way. Anyway, so we're literate apes. Uh, we have a little bit more thought behind our love. Like we're not just trying to get around and like spread our seed and like have babies and stuff. So I mean, I am. <laughs> well, I mean, you're special. And I, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a delight to debate you tonight. I, I had, I was nervous, but this is great. I, I'm having a really good time. It's always something. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think that as people who are kind of thinking on a higher level than our fellow primates even, who are still evolving, uh, yes, this is uh, just another form of pain that we're taking on that's, you know, it's so beautiful and painful that we're making art about it, which is really weird because it's just another emotion, just like what we need to live, which is like food and, you know, shelter, everything else. So, yeah, um, I agree with you. I think it is kind of a kink. I think it does fall into that, but we've normalized it so much over the years and the generations that it's kind of been normalized. It's what is expected. So, thank you. Uh, you've helped me big time in this. So, Final word, Pearson. Final word. Um, I would like to, uh, to paraphrase Shakespeare here and uh -oh. say that... Um, all of life is a sex dungeon, and I'm just a cake slave. Yeah. And I would point out that you paraphrased Shakespeare, did not, but did not realize where I got the wording of what I was meant. Question for you, the MC. You all got a question for the MC. All right, MC question. Then I gotta get a, I gotta get a winner. What? Oh, fuck off, did Brian. Only because I feel like this was Care Bears on Fire versus Kiss. Sure. <laughs> he, he had the things under the table. He was so over the top, just, just amazing. Better than everyone. <laughs>
because he obviously he had so much more. What? So much so more I really well, the I answer really is I don't. This is the thing. It's the art of the dialectic. So the fairness of it is determined entirely by the judge, Aubrey. Who wins this debate? Who does? Throw them in after we uh, take our group picture. Number two, thank you to Ryan Party in the bunkhouse. We love you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you to Dylan. Absolutely tipped him. We love it. Readliterate.com. And thank you so much. Have a great night. We appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah.